0: Hey, welcome to the Church Home podcast. My name is David and I'm the CEO here at Church Home and I'm so glad that you joined us today. In just a moment, you're gonna hear an encouraging message from Judah around the person of Jesus and his love for you. And hey, if we can serve you in any way, please do not hesitate to reach out and chat with a pastor on our pastor chat tool, which you can find on our website or on the Church Home app. And if you've been impacted in any way, by this message, we want to invite you to join those who so generously give to tell the story of Jesus across this globe. Go ahead and visit us on churchhome.org slash give or text the word generosity to 97000. Now sit back, relax and enjoy this message. Hey church, we are here again in Parlor Donuts in Denver, Colorado, if you haven't joined us for this series called Dream Again, welcome. You're actually here for probably my favorite part. This is the final installment, the final episode in four different talks we've done around this idea of dreaming. It's a brand new year, 2023, and we're talking about dreaming again. Uh, I love what one old preacher said. He said, visions and dreams are the language of God, the language of the Spirit. And I think God does use dreams and visions. We've spent plenty of time together as a community talking about this big dream of heaven, the dream of changing the world, the dream of people's lives improving and experiencing forgiveness. And and I've been so excited and so enjoyed our time together. I, I, I gotta admit, as I said, I'm really excited for part four. But before we jump in, I wanna say a big thanks to Parlor Donuts. Thank you for having us. If you didn't know, Parlor Donuts have a has a multiplicity of locations all over the country. And in many of them, on Sunday morning, uh, they open up shop at 7 a.m. and allow people to get donuts and join with us at church home. It's pretty awesome. And uh I'm hoping that uh chains like Tony Romo's and Chili's kind of join in the same things. I think I don't know if Tony Romo's actually still exists. But anyways, <laughs> the point is waiting for Walgreens and 7-Eleven to join us as well. Uh, Uh, But uh, thank you, Parlor Donuts. We love you. And to all who are practicing their faith with us at Church Home in Denver, Colorado, we love you. We've so enjoyed our time here in Colorado. It is so beautiful, so wonderful. And uh, go Broncos, go Nuggets. I cheer for the Nuggets and the Broncos very passionately yes the seahawks are my team and i remain the chaplain of the seattle seahawks but i love the denver broncos and if you didn't know our board member at church home qb1 mr russell wilson himself russ i love you and uh it is a brand new year 2023 the title of this talk is did the dream die now we laughed there's some friends here uh, that are part of Church Home here in Denver, Colorado, and they're live here in Parlor Donuts, and we laughed just before the camera came on, uh, and and uh, I think somebody said, I asked the question, did the dream die? And they're like, hasn't everyone's dreams died at some point or another? And I'm like, well, if, you ha- if your dream hasn't died yet, you're 12, right? But for <laughs> the rest of us uh, who've been living life long enough, there there's always dreams that die or go dormant. The door closes. You're kind of thinking, well, maybe that was just the pizza I had the night before. Maybe that was just an idea. Uh, but maybe you got real excited. Maybe you got real involved. Maybe you got real passionate. Maybe you even invested money and time and energy and effort, and and then nothing ever came of it. Did the dream die? Is there a dream that died in your life? And if the answer is yes, then this sermon is for you. If you've ever, ever, excuse me, if you've ever had a dream die, this is the sermon for you. In fact. I'd like to suggest something very unorthodox. And that is, if the dream died, the dream still might not be done. And I, 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 I don't want to be the preacher who starts off this sermon by saying, the dream doesn't die, dreams never die. No, they do. Like, I think they do actually. I actually think they, they die. And it's like, all right, we're moving on. That didn't work out, we tried. Uh, I have tried so many different things uh, in my life, in ministry. I'll never forget, Amazon decided to pay a few hundred thousand dollars for us to try to have a new show, and they called it Big Talk with Judah Smith. They spent uh, $300,000, something like that, for this pilot. And it was in Los Angeles, and they rented out this whole space, and they built out the whole set, and had incredible guests and friends of mine, and it was the pilot episode, and it was going to be amazing, and we thought Amazon would love it, and Amazon was paying for it, and Amazon's from Seattle, so I was like, this is going to be the best show ever, it's going to be incredible, and then we never heard back, (laughs) they tested it with (laughs) with like study groups or whatever, and... Um, you've never heard of the show because the show never happened. So Big Talk with Judith Smith was a dream that died, right? What do you do when dreams die? What do you do when you put yourself out there? And then one of the more embarrassing parts of dreams is when you tell everybody your dream. And then people come around like, hey, man, how's that been? And you're like, uh, well, I had to get a different job. I moved on. I moved cities. I moved towns. The relationship didn't pan out. Yeah, the dream died. I don't necessarily think that that dream is done though. I think a dream can die and still not be done. Now, maybe you're already watching this and you're going, please don't get my expectations up again. Now, I gotta admit, I don't probably still have the dream of big talk as a TV show. i probably let that that ship sail. But I still have a dream of doing more things for God. I still have a dream of, maybe, maybe a TV show, maybe, you know, helping tell stories in movies and whatever it might be. So, you know, it might not be a real specific, maybe you wanted to open a donut shop, but Parlor Donuts took up all the space. I'm kidding. Come on, relax. But whatever it is, I, I got a sense that in 2023, God's going to do some miraculous, supernatural things in our lives. Now, That's kind of a commentary into the obvious, isn't it? I mean, obviously at some point this year, God's going to do something good. God always does good. But, But I mean specifically around these dreams and aspirations. I also want to admit that part four of this series is unique. It's unique to all the other parts. The last three episodes we did or sermons we did were really anchored to this idea of the big dream that God has for the earth, which is to save humanity and change the world and take us all to heaven. This particular sermon, part four, is dedicated to the different specific personal private dreams we all have. And I wanna go to the same character we have been looking at Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 12. I was so struck by this idea that Jesus, for the joy set before him, the dream he had, the dream of you and me, redemption, forgiveness for all of humanity, it motivated him in the excruciating pain of crucifixion. And I just saw that in Hebrews 12.1 and thought, man, if that joy could be set before me, maybe I could have the same endurance and the same steadfastness. And I believe that we can. And I hope if nothing else, you pick that up from these collection of sermons. But what about that TV show? What about that brand? What about that job? What about that romance? What about that relationship? What about that dream that's died? Spent a lot of time in Los Angeles and there's a lot of single adults in Los Angeles who all are still dreaming of that special someone that they'll marry and it will be a romance for the ages. I can believe for that. Maybe all you've known is relationship breakdown. Maybe all you've known is romances that heat up and cool off. And you're starting to wonder, well, maybe I just need to let that dream go. Maybe it's dead. I wanna give you some advice. It's actually going to be a pretty practical sermon and a pretty practical message. But before I do, I want to read from my phone, Romans chapter four. It's about Abraham and it says this about Abraham. Abraham in hope believed. He believed against hope. When it feels like there was no hope, he held on to hope that he would become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be, God had said. So he did not weaken in faith, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, if you know if you know a little bit of background of that story, Abraham, as we said uh, in part two of this series, was 75, lived at home till he was 75. My guy, right? Like, wow, that's amazing. I think my mom wanted me to live at home till I was 75. I'm kidding, mom. I know you wanted me to move out. But the point is, he's 75, still living with his parents. God calls him, so he moves out. Some 25, 30, 35 years later, the promise that God gave him actually started to come to pass. The Bible records that by the time, now if you know, when he's around 75, God says, I'm gonna make you a father of many nations. He takes him outside of his tent, look at the stars. He says, as so many stars as you can count, so I'm gonna, your descendants are gonna be, I'm gonna make you, Ab- you were Abram, now you're Abraham. Abram is basically means you're a dad. Abraham means you're a dad of everybody. He's like, I'm gonna make you Abraham, right? And if you grew up in church like me, father Abraham had many sons, right? Like that's kind of his whole thing. But for years, it wasn't his thing. 25, 30, 35 years, everything God had said was not coming to pass. In fact, all he experienced basically was pain and loss and complications and challenge and family drama and marriage drama, right? Like it, it was difficult and it, Was hard, And that's why Romans chapter four is so significant because it says that Abraham at a hundred years old, he's literally been renamed by God. God is now, every time God calls Abraham, he calls him the father of a ton of kids. And he doesn't have one kid. Isn't that wild? God's wild. God's amazing. He's like, you are what I say you are. And Abraham's like, okay, but I'm like not that at all. Like you named me something I'm not. You're calling me something that's never happened in my life. But of course, Romans chapter four says he was persuaded. He believed it. He kept believing. He didn't consider the, how old he was. He didn't consider how old Sarah was. I like, can imagine Abraham and Sarah, you know, walking through Walmart, looking for all the maternity clothes, you know, looking for infant clothes. And people are like, hey, you got some grandkids, huh? Nah, no grandkids. You got what? a friend? Nah, no. We're just hoping to get pregnant. Like, wait, what? Like, what is this? Like, an SNL skit? This is ridiculous. Like, this is impossible. Like, you're way too old. I know this is thousands of years ago, but even thousands of years ago, humans weren't having babies at 100. But God said, you're not just going to have babies. You're going to have a mul- You're going to be a father of a nation, a father of millions and millions of people. And Abraham had the dream died. Um, okay, so if Abraham wants to go to coffee with me at Parlor Donuts and he's like 100 and he sits down with this pastor and he says, hey man, can I ask you for advice? And I'd say, yeah, man, what's going on? I'd probably call him Abe. What's up, Abe? Yeah, what's going on? He's like, well, you know, uh, you're a young man, 44. I'm 100. Yeah, you look great for your age, by the way, Abe. Ah, thanks, I appreciate it. Hey, um, Judah, could I get some advice? I, about 30-ish years ago, God told me and my wife we were gonna get pregnant. Now, about this time, I would try not to spit out my coffee or regurgitate my donut. I would go, uh, I'm sorry, what was that? Well, I'm just wondering what would be your advice to someone like me who's still believing to have kids? Now, I wish I could tell you standing here in parlor donuts shooting this sermon, that I'd be like, yeah, bro, totally. Let's pray right now, let's believe God. I don't think I'd be that pastor. I think I'd be the guy going, you know, bro, adoption's an option. (laughs) Then again, are you really up for a kid at your age? You know, you could just like visit other people's kids, right? I don't know, maybe open a daycare. Do you even have the energy for that? You know, like, I mean, when's the last time you and Sarah were, how do I say this, Abe, sexually active? Like, I mean, are you, you know, I mean, that's the truth. That's what I would say. And yet again, we romanticize and make this poetic that isn't it so cool that Abraham at a hundred believed God? I don't know if it's that cool. I think it's pretty weird. I think it's pretty odd. I think it's pretty unusual. Before we go any further, can I just say that sometimes trusting God is weird. Sometimes trusting God is unusual. Sometimes trusting God doesn't make sense at a coffee shop. And sometimes when you ask people to give you advice about your dead dream, they kind of say, let it be dead, bro, bury it and move on. And I don't blame any of us for saying that because it's only God that could do this in Abraham's life. Only God. If I was giving him advice, I gotta admit. And I'm just, I'm gonna just absolutely bottom line it, bottom line it. I would say, it's Abe, it's probably time for you to move on. And um, what I would suggest is you know, uh, maybe send some money to some beautiful families who have some kids and have some babies and bless them. But yeah, this is probably not gonna work out. And yet, he wouldn't have listened to me. He wouldn't listen to me. He probably would have cut the co- coffee meeting off a little early and said, "Well, listen, I gotta run." Probably would have came home to Chelsea and said, I had the strangest appointment today with a hundred year old guy who still wants to have a baby. Chelsea would be like, What? And I'd be like, Right? And I think I offended him. How'd you offend him? Well, I think I told him to kind of move on. And he didn't like that. He really believes that God can do it. I don't know if I would believe him. And yet, that is the kind of faith that we're studying here today the kind of faith that says, even if everyone else else thinks I'm kind of left to center, I'm gonna trust God. Here's what I wanna do. As we come to a close, I wanna give you three observations that I think are Abraham's advice on what to do when your dream has been dead for three decades. What did Abraham do when the dream was dead? The show was canceled. The door was closed. They never called back. The pregnancy never happened. The romance never evolved. All the dream you've had, prayed for, asked God for. Are you like me? I've grown up in church long enough to know. I remember all the different emphasis in church, like have a prayer list. Tell God what you want. You have not because you ask not. You ever been there? You ever prayed for something for 30 years? Eventually, you take it off your prayer list, right? I mean, eventually you're just like, all right, God must not want me to have that. And yet in this case, Abraham just kept believing. He kept believing. So I wanna give you some Abraham advice as we close out these collections of talks on this idea of dreaming. I wanna give you the first suggestion which I think comes from Abraham. And that is ask God to keep persuading you around that dream. And can I just say this? If God doesn't persuade you, I certainly won't. I'll go to coffee with you and tell you to let it die. Right? Like, you're like, well, I'm glad I'm a part of church home. We got a pastor who really believes God. Well, I mean, kind of. Not like not like that much, maybe. You know, like, I am practical. Like, eventually, if you told me it's been 30 years I've been believing God, I'm like, all right, well, let's just kind of get a stuffed animal. You know, like, let's just, like, get a puppy. You're not going to have a kid. Let's get a puppy. You know, get a get a kid puppy. You know, I think that's what puppies are. They're kid dogs. But anyways, you know, just just kind of, and Abraham tried some of that, I'll admit. It should be noted that he kind of tried to take things into his own hands and had Ishmael and boy, that didn't help his marriage. But he kept believing God. As I read Romans chapter four, in there is this idea that God just kept strengthening him, persuading him. My favorite definition for faith, and some of you know this, is divine persuasion. For if faith is conjured up in the one who's expressing faith, then well, is that faith? Or is that just something that we have manufactured and concocted in our own strength? I think saving faith, transforming faith is a gift from God, just like oxygen, just like your birth date, just like the family you're born into, that was a gift. I think faith is a gift. And I tell God all the time, you need to give more people the gift of faith around here. You need to persuade people in Denver. You need to persuade people in Seattle. You need to persuade people in Los Angeles. You need to persuade people all over the world, God. Persuade them, divinely persuade them. And that's why I got, I got lots of friends that don't know Jesus. I got lots of friends who attend church home and they like my speeches, but they're like, I'm not really into the Jesus thing, man. I'm not sure he's the savior of the world. And I'm always like, yeah, for sure. Because until God persuades you, don't believe. Don't believe just because I believe. Don't take my word for it. Let God be God. Let God persuade you. Has your dream died? I think as a pastor, I'd like to tell you, yeah. If it's been 30 years, yeah. I think it's officially died. So then what do I do? Ask God to keep persuading you about it. If God keeps bringing it up, if God keeps telling you I'm still gonna do it, just accept it. Okay, God, I get up in the morning, it's on my mind. Go to bed at night, it's on my mind. I kind of get those thoughts, and if you're like me, I love looking at nature, and if I'm by a river or an ocean or a body of water or I'm up in the mountains, I feel closer to God and I get these poetic, spiritual, gregarious thoughts, right? And maybe in those moments you're by in your favorite chair at your house, here it comes again, that pervasive thought, I'm going to do this, I promised you. And all I'd suggest from Abraham's life is just go, okay, all right. You keep bringing this up in my mind. You keep bringing this up in my heart. Bible says that Abraham took God at his word. You know what that means, right? To take someone at their word. You can't take someone at their word when they're silent. You take someone at their word because they say something to you. Hey, hey, I'm gonna call you next week. To take Someone at their word means you're going to count on them calling you next week. When Abraham took God at his word, it's that God said, I'm going to give you a baby. And Abraham said, I'm going to count on it. I'm going to count on it. I'm going to count on it. Even when I go to coffee shops with pastors who don't believe, I'm going to count on it. Has your dream died? You know, you can still count on a dead dream. Abraham did. Abraham did. I mean, if a 100-year-old body ain't dead, I don't know what is. You know what I mean by that? Like, it's definitely dead sexually. Meaning, not that you still can't, you know, be intimate. Let's not get into the biology here of the the details of this. But the point is, like, there is no situation where that's really going to produce a child. It's dead officially, but it wasn't dead to Abraham. Do you know what I mean? God just kept telling him, I'm going to do it. And he kept saying, I'll count on it. Ask God to persuade you. If you're like me, there are certain dreams in my life that God just keeps bringing up. And sometimes I get frustrated, like, God, what are you? I tried, it didn't work, it didn't happen. And I don't think that's the response that Abraham had. I think the response Abraham had was, maybe he had that for a moment. And eventually he was like, if you're gonna keep telling me this, I'm gonna keep believing it then. And God was like, good, that's what I want you to do. Persuade me again, God. Persuade me around this dream. Persuade me again. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but I do get a sense that there is some moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas who have grandchildren or sons and daughters that you have prayed for for years, that they would experience the forgiveness of Jesus. And I got good news for you. God is gonna persuade you to keep praying and not grow weary and not get tired because he is faithful and he is true. And God can persuade anyone, even your grandson or your granddaughter or your son you haven't talked to in a decade. He can do it. Just, it's a simple prayer. Persuade me again, God. I gotta be honest with you. I've gotten a little bit tired leading church home these days. It hadn't been always the easiest. People have wondered why aren't you in more buildings? Why aren't you doing more services? You may not know this, but there was a time I did seven ser- and seven live sermons every Sunday in Seattle, four different locations. We called it the Gauntlet. That was the right term. And I started at 8 a.m. and my last sermon began at 10:30 p.m. Seven every Sunday, two every Wednesday. See so if I can get that's nine nine live sermons every week and it was growing and buildings were full and it was exciting. And then God said, now I want you to shift and change. And I'll be honest, those apparent wins haven't been as clear. You know, you miss sometimes like all these full buildings and all these services. It was amazing. And God's like, but I want you to change. But in the process of this shift, decentralizing and empowering people all over the world in multiple languages and living rooms and donut shops to practice their faith. I've used this Abraham advice. Persuade me again, God. Persuade me again that I haven't lost my mind as a pastor. Remind me again that you told me to do this. When I have lunch with other pastors and they ask me why I don't do so many services and why we've sold some buildings, And I come home and I ask myself the same question after those lunches, I don't know. And I'm looking at my wife and I'm going, what are we doing? And she's like, trusting God. And I'm like, God, you're gonna have to persuade me again. He's faithful, he's faithful. Second advice I'd give you from Abraham is this idea of say what God says about you. Say what God says about you. It's interesting, we have no record of Abraham ever saying, I like my old name. (laughs) Abram's easier, Abraham's long, a lot of syllables. I just, Abram's cool. Most people call me Abe, I'm happy with it. God's like, no, they're not gonna call you Abe. They're not gonna call you Abram. They're gonna call you Abraham. You are the father of many nations. Yeah, but I'm not. Yeah, but that's who you are. But that's not who I am. That is who you are. Welcome to your relationship with God. He calls you what he knows you are yeah. even when you don't know you are and nobody around you knows you are. You ever experienced that dynamic? God says you're blessed. God says you're favored. God says you're safe. God says you're hidden. God says you're called. God says you're chosen. And yet, you feel exposed. You feel like everybody else. You don't feel special, you don't feel unique, you don't feel called, you don't feel what are you going to do? You going to say how you feel? You going to say how your circumstance inform you? Well, I guess I'm just a broke. I guess I'm just an average. I guess I'm just a normal. I guess I'll always be like this. I guess I'm just like my dad. I guess I'm the same person as my mom. I guess I'm just addicted. I guess I'm just broken. I guess I'm just fragmented. You know, Romans chapter four is so vehemently committed to this idea of the righteousness of God. I want to tell you, I can promise you, God calls you righteous if you simply believe in the finished work of Jesus. You're right with God. Say what God says about you. Who are you? You're the apple of his eye. He's never made anyone like you. You're an original, you are uniquely you. No one's not, we might all wear the same Zara clothes, but we are all unique. We are all our own special people. Yes, unique glow has clothed us all. I get it, but nonetheless, you are unique. No one's like you. No one has your specific DNA and makeup. There's a reason for that. God oftentimes calls us something that he knows we are but he's the only one that knows. It's wild. You're mine. I called you. And yet it's years before you realize it. In fact, I've noticed that God oftentimes will call us something that we feel we are the opposite of. The last thing Abraham felt like was a father of many nations. He wasn't a father to one. And yet God says, you're a father to millions. And he's like, but I'm not. But he's like, keep saying it. You're Abraham. You're Abraham. What does that mean for you? What are some things you need to start saying over your life? You know, and and, and maybe... You're really intense and you're really about this and you're gonna get you know, chapstick or lipstick and start writing who you are in your mirror every morning so you can read it. You know, There's different personalities and different ways to go about this. And some of you are gonna write out and laminate a whole mantra. I am righteous, I am favored, I am loved, I am God. And I think that's awesome, but that doesn't mean that we all have to do it exactly like that. The point is is accepting, receiving, speaking. This is who I am. I'm, I am a successful business person. I'm an innovator, I'm a creative, I'm gifted, I'm talented. By the way, how much more time are we gonna spend with friends who aren't willing to step out in faith and agree with our new name? And maybe that's a little bit encouragement we all need from a practical moment with uh, with your local pastor here telling you like, how many more copies are you gonna to go to? And Maybe you're like, I'm not going to coffee with you, Judah, because you won't believe, you know, great point. But how many more copies are we gonna go with, You know, friends who insist that we're Abram when God says we're Abraham. Oh, I want to be a part of a community that can sit with someone who says, I'm Abraham. And we go, what does that mean again? Father of many nations. You have any kids? No. All right. I'm going to call you Abraham. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of people who understand how God works. And oftentimes he calls us something long before it's realized or it even develops or happens in our life. You are Abraham, you're no longer Abram. I see Abraham acting like Abraham even before he's Abraham. Isn't that amazing? And I just pray that that advice encourages you. And lastly, I believe the advice of Abraham is ask God to persuade you. Say what God says about you. And then lastly, put all the weight on God. Put all the weight on God. It says Abraham didn't waver. Abraham didn't falter. Abraham didn't get back on his heels. He stayed on his toes. You know how? He gave glory to God. The word glory there means weight. It means he put the weight on God. Here's what we oftentimes miss about worship. Because that's my point. That's the advice from Abraham, be a worshiper. But you know what worship does? It transfers weight from you to God. It says, God, if you don't do this, it won't happen. If you don't make this happen, it's impossible. You said you would do this. You did this for other people. So you take the weight and you take the bulk of the pressure. Because frankly, I don't understand it all down here, God. I am doing my best. To be honest, all my friends only see Abram. All my circumstance only scream Abram. All my feelings only scream Abram. All of my history's only been Abram. But you keep calling me Abraham. So you know what? I'm gonna give you the glory. I'm gonna give you the weight. I'm gonna say that you're faithful and that you're true and that you're good and that you're amazing because I'm not. I'm weary and I'm tired. And I'm a little bit confused and I'm a little bit frustrated and I'm starting to wonder if I have multiple personalities. Like, like God, this is a lot to handle. I'm doing my best here, but I, I need your help. Give glory to God. Isn't that a funny phrase? Because if you grew up in church like me, when someone's like, come on, church, let's give glory to God. We always thought that was like, hallelujah, praise the Lord, you know, but but that's it, Giving glory to God means give him all the weight. Give him all the weight. Tell him he holds the world in the palm of his hands. I don't. Tell him that only he can do with my life what he said he would do. God, the weight is on you. And I know this might sound silly and I know I'm taking a lot of personal moments to explain, but that's what I've been doing as your pastor. God, you told me the name Church Home. You told me to make technology something that we could utilize and harness so that we could build a church and the thousands of dollars reach millions of people. That's what you told me. So I'm just reminding you via worship, via Mad City. I'm reminding you via Amanda Cook, Aiden King. I'm reminding you through Chandler Moore. Like Chandler and I are singing to you right now. We're telling you like this is ultimately your responsibility, and it's your doing. What if in 2023, the dream that has been dead for decades resurrected, and that's where I end. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 19 speaks about Abraham one last time, Well, at least in this series, we'll speak about Abraham one last time. And it says that Abraham went up to the mountain that God told him. And on that mountain, he had brought the promise of God. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment. And I wish I had another hour, I I would take it. But uh, Parlor Donuts is going to open soon. It's the middle of the night here in Denver, Colorado. So the staff's going to start showing up and cooking donuts before we know it. Um, But it says that Abraham took Isaac. Now, by the time we pick up the story in Hebrews 11, it's referencing that 30 years are over. Sarah got pregnant. It's wild. The dream isn't dead. It's resurrected. It's come back to life. And they got a boy. You know what they named him? Laughter. You know why? Because Sarah laughed in mockery. And then she laughed with joy. My love God. He even redeems our laughter. They named him Laughter. They laughed hilariously that God would take two senior citizens and give them a baby. They just laughed and laughed. And then they thought, what should we name him? Let's name him what we've been doing. We've been laughing, you know, since he was born. Just hilarious. Like, how did this happen? Abraham takes that bundle of promise, which by the time we get to what is recorded in Genesis chapter 21, I believe it is, or 22, Genesis chapter 22, he could be 16, he could be 20, probably teenager or older. Abraham has lived with the promise in front of him. Joy, laughter. Can you imagine how much they loved Isaac? I mean, this is the tangible, literal, manifest promise of God. I love my babies, but something tells me I might not even have scratched the surface on how much Abraham and Sarah loved this boy, Isaac. I mean, he was everything that God said he would give them. And God said, I want you to take Isaac up on the Mountain, and I want you to give them to me. Wait, what? So, here is my final installment of Abrahamic advice around your dream. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham went up on that mountain and he was going to sacrifice his son. But here's the caveat that we now know Hebrews tells us he believed that even if he sacrificed his son on that altar, that he, God would give it back to him, that his son would come back to life and he'd be restored. That's why he did it. He believed, please hear this, I'm talking to somebody, that if he let go of the dream and put it in the hands of God, that God would do with that dream what he pleased and that just, Without Genesis 22, we wouldn't even fully understand what happened on Golgotha on the cross. For what Abraham does with Isaac is a type and a shadow of what the father would do with Jesus. And so as Isaac did not die that day, but got off that altar alive, so Jesus died and resurrected. You know what the truth is? Your little dream is more connected to the greatest story ever told more than you realize. God's trying to show you his son through this donut shop. God's trying to show you his son through pastoring into the unknown and taking big risks through technology. He's just trying to show us Jesus. So here's my last little bit of advice. That dream that's been resurrected, let it go. Or maybe even before that, that dream that still hadn't been realized, let it go. And here's what I mean. It's yours, God. One of my favorite phrases at church home is to tell God, you're the lead pastor. You're the lead communicator. You're the lead theologian. You're the CEO. You're in charge of this church. This is your dream. We're your children. I want to end this entire series on dreaming. We're going to dream big dreams. We're going to endeavor into the unknown. We're going to go all in. We're going to risk everything to reach more people. Everything's short of sin to reach more people with the love of Jesus and the goodness of God. But at the end of the day, we're gonna let go. You're not God, neither am I. He's in charge. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. We've talked so many different angles around dreams, believing God, saying what he says about all, but ultimately you remember, you hold those dreams with an open hand. It's yours, God. My life is yours. Do with my life as you choose. And whatever you take, I believe you'll put something far greater in its place or you'll resurrect it again. What a beautiful romance that Abraham had with Jehovah God. And I believe we're beckoned into that same loving romance of saying, God, I let go. I just get this kind of this picture in my mind. If you're like me, you just wanna control the outcome especially when God finally gives you the fulfillment of your dreams, you're like, okay, I'm never gonna let this go. But the same God that walked with you in those 30 years of trusting, believing when there was nothing, he now says, now will you trust me with what I gave you? And I didn't plan for this, I must admit here in the parlor donuts, but I'm gonna end in a very peculiar and unusual way in these collections of sermons. And it actually is gonna end with a brief, application that I think is important, and I'm not sure why, but this is what I feel led to do. It is time for our church to let go at a level unlike we ever have before. People have wondered, have we lost our minds because we can't be in every donut shop? Pastor Judah, Pastor Chelsea, or any other pastors can't be in your living room physically. Well, how will you make sure that everything is decent and in order and proper? And, well, we're going we're gonna to let go. But I want to say this, I I do believe that a big part of what's going to happen in the future of our community, we're going to let go of things we hold dear. And I think one of the things God's asking us to let go of is, is even in the love of money and the need of money and the focus and the preoccupation of money. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I trust God in all this. God's asking you to let go of your money. Maybe that's a big part of our dream, isn't it? Man, someday if I could just, isn't it funny how If you're like me, sometimes my mind wanders that money's gonna fix it all. It's not, it's time to let go. I believe we're endeavoring into a new year in 2023 and there will be more generosity unlike we have ever seen across the scale of our entire church. Well, I don't just mean finances, but I also mean generosity with our time and attention and efforts. You imagine the generosity it takes to open up your own living room for your neighbors, in your neighborhood to come and worship Jesus or at least learn about him and consider him? I don't know about you, but I'm like, I barely want my friends to come to my living room and drink coffee on my couch because what if they spill coffee on my couch? I'll never have them over again, you know? And yet we're building a church that welcomes people to open up their homes. We're gonna have to let go. And I think that's the message that God is sharing with our community right now. Trust God, let go. Trust Him with your sacred spaces, your living rooms, your homes, your neighborhoods, your communities. Let go and see what miraculous thing God would do in your life. Maybe you've been counting dimes and pennies and dollars. Maybe God is saying, let go. Start giving to church home financially. Start giving to amazing causes in your respective country or community or neighborhood. I do think Just maybe, I was inspired. This is definitely not in my notes and my notes are chaos anyways. But I think God's asking you and me to let go in 2023. So I'm gonna leave it there. I'm gonna let you and God discuss what let go might mean for you. And I think it's got everything to do with those wild and crazy dreams God put in your heart. Can I pray for you? God, we thank you. You are so faithful. And you're here in this little donut shop in Denver, Colorado. I can feel you in this room, and we love you. God, we we gotta admit, life has kind of driven out a lot of the dreams in our hearts. We ask for the strength, the courage, and the energy to dream again, to dream the dream of heaven, to dream the dream of global transformation, and to dream the dream of specific personal things you want to do in our life. Thank you for it. Lastly, if you're here watching this episode and you'd like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only comes through Jesus, I welcome you to do so. Just say this right out loud, I receive Jesus. That's it. It's that simple and you'll never be the same again. I love you, church home. One more big thank you to Parlor Donuts. May Parlor Donuts proliferate around the world Let's take over winchels. Like, Judah, we're not against winchels. Everybody <laughs> relax. We're not against Krispy Kreme donuts. It's not a competition. But nonetheless, Parlor Donuts, we love you. Love you, church. I know we'll talk soon.